Med Family is a show about a family journeying through medical school with kids and navigating married life. Tag along to see how we got here and where this journey is taking us. Hello, welcome to another podcast with Med Family. My name is Eric. I'm, I'm Karen. Karen's hosting with me. And so we're recording on Tuesday of this week and if you've been following along, we should have started our in-person clerkships this week, and we're going to kind of k- catch you up what we've been up to. So I, I before we kind of get into the clerkships, I kind of I wanted to hear about Karen's week. It was a pretty laid-back week, I guess. Uh, we started homeschool. I'm just starting slow. We're just doing one one subject, and then we'll add in another and another as we go. I mean, our kids are... Six, four, three, and two. So, really, the six-year-old is the only one who has to be doing school at the moment. Um, obviously, our four-year-old is very invested in what other people are doing, so she is also doing school. Yeah, if Oliver is doing it, she wants to be doing it. Yes. So, Nora is the queen of the house. <laughs> <laughs> what subject are you starting off with? We are starting with well, because all the kids like doing the vowel sounds and we make a game out of it we are doing our alphabet the vowels the sounds that go along with it and eventually we will combine them for reading so and then uh, we did some writing today along with it and we did we worked on the letter a today so very simple stuff but they had fun and then they quickly progressed from drawing or from writing the letter a to drawing which was fine I mean, it's supposed to be fun. You want to encourage their sense of learning versus stifle it. And everything that I've read going into this, basically the hand doesn't develop fully. And so it's hard for kids to like sit down and actually write until the bones of their hands. I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, they are growing, so the hand is going to get bigger. Yes. Yes, but they tend to suffer from, like, muscle fatigue and whatnot. Younger kids do. Oh, okay. Which is why they have, like, the big pencils and the big, all that. I know there's, like, a whole lot of muscles. Like, it's basically just long tendons. Okay. I don't know. I mean, they attach the muscles, but the muscles are mostly in the forearm. I don't know. I've been reading teacher blogs and homeschooling blogs, and a lot of them are saying, don't worry so much about the how long they are writing just encourage them to write. So that is what we're going with. Do right you now. think you're gonna teach them cursive? But lost art? <laughs> I think it's too early to teach them that as they don't know all of the letters. I mean they do know all the letters, but they haven't written all of the letters yet. But I'm thinking probably yes. Okay. Great. So they'll be able to read, you know, nineteen uh, eighteenth century writings and Whatnot and write love letters to their significant others in, le- in languages that they they can't understand. That'd be great. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't decided yet. Why? What do you think? <laughs> I, I, I learned. I learned cursive. Uh, it's just nobody no, nobody else writes any cursive except for sign- signatures, and even then, the signatures don't even look like anything. No, uh, most people's signatures are a scribble, mine included. Yeah, yours has some. Used to have pretty bold K's. Since it, your last name, it was also a K. 
So. Now it's not. Now it's not. I'm sorry. I ruined your signature for I life. I know. <laughs> so why did you, I guess, why why are we doing homeschooling? Is there like an advantage to that? What's the, and what is that? Well, both you and I were homeschooled. I mean, this is, this. We, I was this legit homeschooled. She was meh, homeschooled. <laughs> I was homeschooled. Up until high school, and then I went to a charter school that you had to test to get into. Nerd school. Says the says the uh, <clears throat> fashion challenged man sitting beside me. Um, Find me a regular guy that isn't totally fashion challenged, or well, a little bit fashion challenged. Okay, that's besides the point. I didn't he, wear sweatpants. <laughs> It wasn't sweatpants and socks with sandals. That wasn't my style. I never wore socks with sandals. That's a, that's the homeschool style. And my sweatpants were legit. I was part of a premier soccer team. I had soccer practice. Did they have elastic at the bottom? No. Okay, so you didn't really have like le- the legit homeschool sweatpants. No, they were my soccer sweats that you paid money for that were had like your number As on it. As opposed to the regular homeschooling sweatpants where you just you just grew and <laughs> you were homeschooled and suddenly they appeared, you're like, this seems natural. Oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I was legit homeschooled. I was in a home my my mom was in a homeschool group where we had activities. We had art and choir and random field trips that we would take with the homeschool group. I think your mom used a curriculum where that you do the work and then she'd send it in and it would get graded by a third part, a third party. I'm not sure what she did for the majority of our like junior high and uh, elementary school years, but for high school, and I think a little bit of junior high, she did have a curriculum that she was following, and like she Karen said, would send that curriculum in the testing and whatnot, and have this uh, organization just verify that you know, it was graded correctly, and then. By the end of high school, we would have an actual high school diploma. Yeah. With so. a GPA and everything. I was top of my class. Of one. Shh. So. <laughs> <laughs> class rank was one. I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. The other reasons are we are going to be moving around quite a bit, depending on where it's going to be. Also. So instead of having to pluck them in and out of school... And having to adjust constantly to new environments and new teachers, especially teachers that may not be quite ready for uh, our oldest's oldest son's level of energy. Right, and that is that is probably the biggest reason why I think we're going to homeschool is because our son has a ton of energy, so he needs to have active learning. <laughs> My mom made the comment that he is very much like I was at that age. And I remember doing a subject and then having my mom saying, okay, go run around the house three times and then come back and sit down and do this subject because I couldn't sit still. And he has that same ants in his pants problem. So that is another reason. So we can tailor the learning to him and try to work with him more one-on-one. He's, he's got some challenges, you know, with speech and whatnot that we have to work on. And so give us kind of a bigger opportunity to work with him and help him grow and help him learn as much as we can. We can. I mean, we both have bachelor's degrees. So, and even if you don't have a bachelor's degree, I don't think it's necessarily rocket science to be teaching elementary or kindergarten level education to your children. 
No. So my education is I've got a bachelor's in human de- in yeah human human development, a minor in gerontology, and my that's associate. old people. <laughs> well, if they were medical, sh- it's a medical. It's a medical school. school. They know what it is. Gerontology. They, um, yeah. And uh, my associates was in early childhood ed. So I feel like I have some... Do you actually get an associate's? Yeah. Huh, okay. You just had to fill out the paperwork and Clark would send it to you. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have the, the little thing. Anyways, but I did... I worked with kids a lot throughout high school and college. I was a tutor, I guess that's what you would call it, for children with ADD, ADHD, Tourette's traumatic brain injuries, and then the elderly, and I worked with them on memory and cognition and tools on how to study and focus on studies. That was one, that was actually my favorite job when I was in college. (laughs) I worked. It wasn't, it was like maybe 20 hours a week or so, maybe. It it wasn't, it wasn't that many hours a week. I, I think there was a point where I was working. I don't know. It doesn't matter, but that was my favorite job. So I feel like if I can do that, I should be able to do, I, I think technically Oliver is first grade. Nora would be kindergarten, maybe. Yeah, but we'll make sure we, we keep yeah. them on the milestones and keep progressing them. They've got a, a pretty solid education. It's it's kind of interesting. We, uh, we talk a little bit with some friends and just going onto social media and asking or seeing people talk about homeschoolers. It's it's kind of turned around from what it used to be when we when I was homeschooled. Like it, when I was homeschooled, it used to be like, oh, you, these are the kids that win the spelling bees. They're super smart. If they ever built a company, you'd want to invest in them. And then now you look online and it's, <laughs> you get this impression that homeschoolers are flat earthers, that they just learn how to do certain things around the house and they don't really learn anything. And they're just like miles behind their public school counterparts. And I. I don't know where that perception came from. I'm not sure if there was like a pop culture TV show or something that led people to believe that. But it's it's can it be further from the truth about what homeschoolers are able to do and and accomplish? It's it's just fascinating. I mean, there is some truth to like the social awkwardness because you don't you don't have as much socialization when you are totally homeschooled. Yeah, I think it depends on the homeschool parent how much socialization you get. I was put in sports at eight. Because I again, I had too much energy. My parents were like, "No, nope." So well, there's a question of maybe how much socialization is the appropriate amount of socialization, right? Like I, I would, I went to. We grew up in Southwest Washington. The school district that we would be able to have gone to as kids was Evergreen High School, and I, I played baseball for the C squad. I didn't make it past C squad, but I swam for them for four years on the swim team, and. Listening to any of the stories that these guys would talk about, like daily fights in the lunchroom and all the drama and whatnot that they would have to deal with, including dances and smoking and drugs. And I don't want my kids to be ignorant of the world. I don't want them to be ignorant of what's going on around them and what, how, how well, I don't want them to be handicapped when they have to deal with obstacles but at the same time I don't I don't think it's appropriate that they have to deal with fights and then at the same time there is nothing like high school in the real world and everyone goes oh high school prepares kids to socialize and behave in 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 real life and it's like nothing in real life looks like high school at all 
Yeah, well, and I went to a charter school, so I don't know. My experience with a real high school, quote-unquote, was just playing soccer for Battleground, and I didn't enjoy it. I, I played for three years, and after that point, I was just like, these girls are mean. I'm done. And we, we, I think we both went to high school dances. I don't. I never went to a prom, but I think I'd gone to Sadie Hawkins and a few homecomings. Well, and, yeah, my school had dances. I didn't yeah. go to other high schools' dances. They weren't. I, I from speaking from my own personal experience, they weren't exactly what they were, were chalked up to be in any of the TV shows or anything like that. It, <laughs> it, it's nothing like any of that, and it's not as magical and not as formative, really. No, but I don't know. I. I, we've talked about homeschooling quite a bit, and it, it we feel like it's our job as parents to make the best choices for our children and prepare them the best that we can. And just with different... So, like, we are from Washington, and Washington has started sex ed as early as kindergarten. I don't remember. It's very open, and... I think there's certain things our kids are, need to know about sex, gender, and all that fun stuff. But then there's certainly things that they do not need to know about until they're a bit older and more mentally able to comprehend the information. That, and we had uh, several friends that were teachers that were talking about th- like social issues that they wanted to talk to their kids about, which is fine. But what was concerning to me was, well, you're a math teacher. You, you're you not supposed to teach on these things. You're supposed to teach these kids math or you're like... Stay within your, la- in your lane. We are we are paying we are paying through our taxes for you to teach our children, and I want our children to come out with the knowledge that they need to know. And if every teacher is talking about social, social topics, topics so. then they aren't getting a well-rounded education on your math, your language arts, your sciences, your history, all of that, and so. I don't know. There were just enough things that were concerning to me. And I know, like, kindergarten and first grade, it's very simple stuff. It, it's fine. But then COVID hit and everybody's wearing masks. Every Like, a lot of the school is through Zoom. And I'm just sitting here thinking, we can do better ourselves than a teacher trying to corral 20 kids over a Zoom call or however many kids there are in that classroom. And... I know in Bonaire, we are blessed to be in a very good school district. We did look into that. But with everything else combined, we decided to give this a shot and see how this goes. Uh, and kind of from our backgrounds of either biology or early human development, having looked at some of the studies and like what's the most determining factor of kids doing well in school. And in this, and this is the, we were talking a lot about homeschool. We think it's the, what's best for our kids. And obviously, there's going to be parents out there who can't do homeschooling, whether you're a single parent or you have, you just need both incomes or whatever the reason is. It that's fine. You make the best choices for your family. Every every family has to consider those options and make the best choice for them and the, their their kids. But the biggest determining factor whether your kids succeed educationally wise is parental involvement. It, it really just boils down to, I mean, you can put your kid in a really good private school and you can probably get a pretty good private school education, but if the parents do not get involved in any way, don't ask questions about how school is going, don't check in on the, on the, the children and make sure that they're actually learning and really have conversations and engage the child, 
the kid's going to get an okay education, but he's maybe not going to get as great of an education versus the public school parent who stays on their kid, makes sure that they do the home, that the kid does the homework, the kid does well in school and sets expectations, but also engages in communication with the kid about, and the teachers about the kid's progress and what, what their kid is able to do versus, you know, the expectations. And those kids do very well. So it's, I think it all just boils down to is as a parent, you just got to be really engaged and it's hard. Uh, (laughs) I'm a medical student. (laughs) I understand how, how many hours uh, away from home I am and how many hours my job in the future is probably going to pull me away from home. So one of the, I think the beauties of homeschooling is we're going to have this opportunity that when I am home, I can engage my kids in that education and try to be involved and we can make the curriculum, not necessarily around my schedule, but kind of fit me into their schedule a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of what our conversation has been regarding homeschool and why we chose to do, do so. And I mean, we did have the conversation that if this doesn't work for our family, what what would our second choice be? And so on and so forth. But right now this is what we're, where we're at and what we're trying. I've gotten onto a free homeschool resources Facebook page and it's been great because you get to see what moms are doing around the U.S. There's a couple moms from overseas on there as well. And so it's cool to see what everyone's doing and ask for advice. And there's a lot of free stuff out there that you can use, which is encouraging as well. And that's, I mean, that's stuff that if you do go to the island to do medical school like we did, we did. You could do a lot of those online things or take some of those resources with you, and you can do some of that education on the island as well as a homeschooling family. We, I think we talked a little bit about that. Yeah, we talked a little bit about it before. So I guess what, what else has obviously been going on this week is been in started in-person rotation. So I, I am in family medicine rotation. So we did three weeks of online, and now we are three weeks in person. I'm with a particular family medicine doctor out in Macon, and uh, <laughs> I hate to say it, like I, we've kind of stalled a little bit. Um, it's not anything to do with the school. It has nothing to do with the doctor. It's just the doctor didn't have any patients the last two days. And so I've, we came in on Monday. We got oriented to the guy's practice and kind of figured. Computer system. Computer system and, <laughs> and all the ins and outs. It's not, a, it's not a huge practice. It's a, you know, it kind of fits inside of a small house. And it's got, he's got three exam rooms his own office and of course the front desk and a lab so it's not it's not a you know multi-physician practice but it's pretty nice uh, the staff is great the doctor seems really good I, I'm at a little bit of a disadvantage compared to my other two counterparts I'm with a couple other medical students and I don't seem to know the club football of Europe and and Africa very well and so I'm not quite as able to engage in conversation as they are able to. So we're, we're, we're working on that. The doctor is very into soccer, and so Eric's feeling at a disadvantage. But uh, the, he did give you some homework for the first few days. Yeah, so one of the, one of the guys I was with, he got assigned to present uh, asthma. I think it's talk about different differential diagnosis and how you would treat asthma. And then another person I'm uh, rotating with, he got assigned syncope. So he has to do the same sort of thing. 
and I got chest pain. Uh, <laughs> chest pain is a huge topic, so I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful I can cover it with some justice without taking up a lot of time. But so tomorrow, I think we have a few patients that we get to go see, and then we get to present a topic to the preceptor, and hopefully get some pointers there. Um, yeah, it seems like the the way the rotation is supposed to work is. The pre- at least the first time, the preceptor is going to bring us in with him to see the patient and kind of go through how he typically sees a patient. And then he will then send us into other patients' rooms individually, all by ourselves, to do the entire patient workup, so history, chief complaint, then any physical exams we feel like is necessary, we do those. And then we take all that information and we go back to the doctor and tell the doctor what we saw, what we thought, and he will discuss with us. We was actually will present to the entire group, so all the other medical students there will get to listen and give some feedback. And then the doctor will go back into the room with the patient and finish off the exam, pick up anything we might have missed, and then you know do the assessment and plan. Should be fun. Uh, it's a little scary, but it should be fun. Yeah, it's a little. I think you think it's a little scary because you, as much as you were supposed to have been practicing on patients from term one all the way through now, COVID has kind of messed with that. So you haven't actually, yeah. So Eric was supposed to be doing physical exams from term one. And so I think a lot of his concern comes from, I haven't practiced these. I haven't touched a patient for several terms now, and I'm expected to just go in and jump in. Well, and things, things are different when you have a patient in front of you. We can do the eye human simulations and we try to remember all the questions we need to ask try to uh we, you know the patient comes in with a complaint we need to ask and try to discern and work through a diagnosis or we might have some working ideas and we got to ask questions to try to whittle those ideas down to one can you know one maybe two three differential diagnosis and then we have to go okay what physical exams should i be doing to rule out further and whittle those down to uh, a couple maybe one and then be able to go back to the doctor and say, this is my process, this is what I saw, and this is what I did, and so this is what I think is what's going on. And that all sounds pretty straightforward, but then you have a patient in front of you who has a personality, and they have feelings, and they <laughs> and they have expectations, of course, and uh, so sometimes those don't always align with the medical student, and sometimes the patient doesn't want to have a medical student, and sometimes the patient can sense that the medical student doesn't know what he's doing. And I think the expectation here is uh, eventually we're going to be doing the the uh, blood draws and labs on these patients. So imagine being that patient and you know, oh, you've you've done this before. You've you've drawn some blood before. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We did it on a a plastic model. <laughs> so this is my first one. And you can imagine like suddenly the the arm muscle is getting tense and <laughs> the patient's breathing getting a little bit quicker anticipating you missing at least a dozen times and so i i can understand that it it's nerve-wracking for the patient and then of course as a medical student you might lose a little bit of confidence by making those mistakes and you want to move on quickly and try to get put that in the past and then of course the doctor is going to be like you can't do that it's your first time oh no no of course not (laughs) (laughs) i've I've assisted on multiple blood draws before in my uh anyway so yeah there's a lot it's really exciting because you know you're getting to do the work of the doctor, and the, but it's also very nerve wracking because you don't want to miss anything, but you don't also want to be a pain in the butt to the patient. So it's kind of a 
a balancing act because this is a doctor's practice and if you insult you you offend the patient in some way you are making it harder for the doctor to have a practice and make a living and support his staff and that and then also the doctor might go oh gosh it's not worth having medical students who don't know what they're doing or are kind of screwing up it's costing me money i know i'm getting paid but it doesn't offset the losses there and so you kind of ruin it for students that come in behind you so there's a lot lot riding on <laughs> these these uh all these days that were there at the doctor but he seemed like a good guy seemed like a nice a nice preceptor so i think he's going to be pretty supportive and then the other guys i'm with are pretty supportive as well so i'm hoping that all in all we're going to have a good time yeah, you had talked about the eye human patients. Um, you just started getting your grades back for that. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Oh, yeah. So I've been communicating with a few of my fellow classmates who were in a similar situation where we, were, we did all of our eye human, where we completed the soap notes and all the cases and submitted them. And of course, our preceptor is uh, now currently grading the eye human cases. And this is maybe just a quick pointer for medical students or someone who's maybe thinking about becoming a medical student. And maybe maybe this is probably just not a great attitude, but just take it or leave it. We're medical students. We don't get to have opinions. We don't get to have preferences on how we do things in the medical world. Uh, One of the the feedback I was getting from some of the classmates where they were losing points on their soap note because of how they didn't format it in a certain way. And their opinion is is that, well, I got all the information in there the way I like to have it. It is visible, and if you read it, you could see the information in there. And that's that's true. And the soap note is sometimes a, a pretty subjective document. I mean, the information in it is not necessarily subjective, but how you write it and what is important to you and what's it, how you like to do it is somewhat subjective. But unfortunately, some of, these, some of these preceptors have strong opinions. And in this case, the, our preceptor gave us uh, a, an example of a soap note. And I would have to go back and read the literature that she wrote around when she attached the document. But I just took it as this is how she likes to write soap notes. So as her medical student, and she's my preceptor, that is how I like to write my soap notes. And it might not be like I'll probably go through three or four different formats or or dozens of formats before I even end medical school and before I even end residency, I'm sure. And it's just that's just the way it is. Like you're going to have preceptors that want it done a certain way. And you're a medical student. You don't get to have an opinion on it. Yeah. Well, the other thing. So the other thing that came up this week was several of the students that had their first three weeks in person got invited to continue yeah so they if available yeah so they're supposed to transition to an online rotation where they do the eye human cases but their preceptors liked them a lot and said you can come on back all next week if you want and keep following me as long as i don't have a different medical student you can come on back yeah, so that like prompted Eric and I to have a conversation. Like, is it more important for you to get that FaceTime with the doctor, get the the physical practice in, and hopefully get a good letter of recommendation out of that, than it is to have that extra week of studying for your shelf exam and hopefully uh, doing really well and getting honors on your shelf exam. 
And then to like, then you have to also weigh like, if they do have another student there, are you actually taking away from that student's time? Well, I think in most of these situations, the the preceptors specifically said, if I don't have a medical student, then I'm happy to have you back. So they, they were going to so devote the time to the, the medical student that they were assigned to. And I, I agree. It, it is a, a weird balance there because you get three weeks of iHuman time, but it's really just time to study for your shelf exam. Now, you could pass your shelf exams, and I, I don't think anyone particularly at this time cares as long as you pass your shelves. I know the dean will write and make notes that you pass, you know, have a passive honors or high pass. So sometimes it's really good to get those those scores so that the dean can write that in her letter of recommendation that she writes to all for all students who go into residency match. So something that helps you stand out a little bit. So I think it's a it's a delicate balance of making sure you can still pass the shelf because that's you know by the end of the you know at the end of the day that's what you really you gotta you gotta pass the shelf. I mean it's great to have a good experience. It's great to learn, but if you don't pass the shelf exam, you just stop. Your medical education stops until you can pass the shelf exam. Yeah, well, and then there's also, like, we are currently paying, part of your tuition right now is going towards malpractice insurance. And if you're not actually supposed to be there, it is like, a question of are whether... you still covered? Like, yeah. so, <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know. I would imagine so, because, like, with your medical insurance you're covered no matter what. So I would assume it would be the same with malpractice because like if there was a huge accident and you were the only medically trained person, uh, you would be expected to act even if you were, wouldn't you? You would be able to act within their scope of knowledge. Right. So I, I could do ACLS and BLS and PALS. I could not do surgery. A- absolutely not. Or put a chest tube in or <laughs> just about anything else about... and and. I don't know. There's just a lot of like back and forth on that because you do want the experience. You do want the FaceTime, but at the same time, you don't want to put yourself in a precarious situation when it comes to either the insurance or having enough time to study for shelves. Well, and I guess you, you mentioned as well that it's the letter of recommendation. I think this is where it's like a, a seesaw in a way. You're trying to balance you're doing well on your shelves and getting good letters of recommendation. And especially if you're in a rotation where you're like, this is it. This is what I want to do. I want to be, I don't know, OBGYN. So you maybe you do want a really strong letter of recommendation from an OBGYN. It really helps, you know, when you have a letter from the, from the same specialty that you want to go into. So maybe that is the specialty you want to spend more time with the preceptor, so he can get to know you a little bit more, and then he can turn around and write this awesome letter of recommendation. And maybe you just sacrifice, like, hey, I got a pass on my OBGYN shelf, but I got this awesome letter of recommendation. And that would probably be a pretty good trade-off. Right. Well, we're going we're gonna to win over hearts and mind by food. Oh yeah, so we're gonna <laughs> so we're gonna try to figure out what their what the food preference is, and just be like, here's the staff some food. too. Yes, staff too. Yes, because staff is important. Oh yes, you got to make the nurses happy. You got to make from the front desk to the back office. Everyone's got to like you a little bit because you make their life hard. The doctor is going to eventually know about it, and that's going to be no good. Right, and this is Eric. Like as you go along, these preceptors have 
student after student after student. And so you have to stand out in some sense. And if you're, if you hit a specialty that you are definitely wanting to go into early on, you have to be remembered months later. Yeah. Like, so if I want to go family medicine, I still have, you know, 12 months of core rotations I still have to do. So this guy is going to still need to know and remember me about 12 months from now when I, when I come back and ask him, hey, can you write me a letter of recommendation? So it's uh, it's not that I'm saying I want to do family medicine. I haven't made up my mind. I haven't even touched the patient yet. So, you know, the mind is still open. <laughs> yeah, but that's kind of been our week and our thoughts and our discussions. Anything else you can think of to add? I mean, I'm not really sure. I mean, and again, I think even last week when we were doing this, this we kind of figured this week's podcast would be more on the actual rotation and kind of more in the nitty gritty. I think the only other thing maybe I can think about just the the one day I've been in clinic is office staff and technology. Just as providers, a lot of older providers you can just kind of be a little bit patient with because. They grew up on paper charts. They grew up on medical record systems that don't exist anymore, <laughs> and and so they're some of the older preceptors are having they have a little bit harder time adjusting to these new medical record systems and new technologies. So, and they've gotten pretty good at you know figuring out where to go to, and do what they need to do. But obviously, like if you're pretty good at technology, try to stay up on it. Try to stay. <laughs> Try to learn as much as you can to navigate the medical record system you're going to work on because it's going to save you time. And that's one of those things that's like primary care, even specialists, you spend a lot of time doing paperwork and charting. And really, as doctors, we want to spend most of our time seeing patients and treating patients and not documenting so that the insurance company will pay for it. We still got to do that. We still got to do all that stuff. But that's why the better you are at at navigating the medical record system, the faster that process goes and the more the faster you can get to things that you actually care about doing. Yeah. Oh, you didn't tell me what what record system does this office have? Do you remember? I they didn't tell me the name of it. It's oh, okay. just it's not Epic. It's not um anyone's familiar with Epic as a it's a pretty large medical record system that's I think the company runs out of Wisconsin, but yeah, it's... Was it Citrix Space? It might have been. I don't know. Oh, okay. Sorry. Both I are, couldn't tell, to be honest with both you. Both of us have worked in a... Well, I worked in a pharmacy. You worked in a... Uh, a clinic. Clinic. So we are used to some some um, office um, Medical records. records. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's worth getting to know. It's because, I mean, again, you're going to... As a doctor, you're going to look over the patient's record as well and try to figure out what's the history, what what were they seen last, and what could they possibly be coming in for, what could be going wrong based on the history, and then, of course, the patient presentation, hist- um, the, what, what they come in with. So medical records are important, and I think just as a realistic expectation, I know sometimes you'll hear doctors go, well, why don't we just go back to the paper record system? It's not happening. Like we're, that's like saying why? Why can't we just go back to flip phones? It's probably not going to happen. You're going to meet the occasional person who still has a flip phone, and they're kind of cool and eccentric. But realistically, we're all going to have our smartphones. We're all going to have our apples, our androids, and be able to surf the internet and look up things quickly. So medical record systems, 
they're going to stay electronic. They're not going to go to a paper system. No. It, well, and it makes it so much easier to share across hospitals and across. So, well, yeah, yeah. And, but you have actually access to your medical. I mean, it's kind of cool. We, we, we have medical records for our kids and for ourselves, and it's kind of neat to get the lab results and they get pushed to you so you can kind of look them over. And I mean, if you're, you're not a medical, medically inclined person, a lot of those numbers don't make a whole lot of sense. Um, but then the doctor can write a quick note and tell you, hey, your, your uh, cholesterol looks good. Maybe work on some of the triglycerides and here's what I would recommend. And that's kind of neat that your doctor can just shoot you a quick message. So again, it's just something maybe as a medical student, just kind of get familiar. And there's so many different medical record systems. So it's don't, don't, don't spend all your time trying to figure out each and every one of them. Just try to stay up on technology of how to navigate it a little bit. Because it's pretty obvious when you can watch somebody and they're, they're they're fumbling around and they can't quite navigate something pretty well that, man, your life would be so much easier if you could just get the point A to point B quickly. But I think that's about it for the week. It's Tuesday. We're gonna have I'm going to have some patients tomorrow and uh, Thursday and Friday. So I'm looking forward to maybe be able to report back a little bit next week and have some more interesting situations or whatnot. Obviously, I can't get into any detail that would be revealing to any patient, but just any sort of experiences I, I, I learned from. So hopefully next week we'll have a little bit more to go over. But anyway, you guys have a great week and we will see you next week. Bye.